Hi, my name is Mattia Murray, and welcome to The Longer Road. You are on The Longer Road if you have multiple intersectional identities that are often marginalized. You've had to work harder to get to the starting line, and you might feel behind. I'm here to provide hope, support, and practical tips, and to let you know that you're not alone. Welcome. Something I've noticed in my own brain is that the longer the time scale for a goal, the easier it feels. Even if it's a huge goal, such as, I'm going to share one that's literally in my lifetime goals list, write a cult classic. Yeah, that's not well-defined. We don't have to go into why that's just kind of a silly goal in my brain. But anyway, that to me, writing a cult classic book feels easier to me than, for example, what I put in the title, doing the dishes. And I was telling a client about this last week and she felt exactly the same. So that's enough for me to neurodivergent people thinking this is enough for me to talk about why I think this is the case for my own brain. So today I'm going to cover three things. One, why I think timescale affects the way I approach and feel about what I want to do. And I'm just saying that instead of goal, because I don't love the word goal. Why traditional goal setting doesn't work for my brain. That's number two. And then number three, what I personally do instead. So again, this is a reflection of where I'm at right now and how I think, which is not necessarily going to work for you. Every neurodivergent brain is different. And I also think there are some generalizable things here that I've heard other people talk about as well. So I hope it's useful. So number one, for me, the shorter the time scale, the more overwhelming the task as a general rule, even if the task is quote, small and easy in theory. So I use dishes as an example in the title, because when I've lived without a dishwasher, I have really struggled to stay on top of dishes. And shout out to a book I just read, which I will put in the show notes, How to Keep House While Drowning, I think is the title. And it was really interesting reading that after I'd already processed a lot of this stuff for myself because I had already found a lot of functional processes that worked for me. But I do wish I'd read this book 10 years ago when I was struggling a lot more. So part of why dishes are hard for me, why I'm using this example, is because scrubbing is a really difficult gesture for my joints. And specifically, if I squeeze a sponge with my whole hand, and sometimes a washcloth as well, but like especially a squishy sponge, I will sprain my pinky. So it actually takes a lot of focus for me to do dishes without injuring myself. So it's not just a decision to do, quote, the dishes as one task. I have to identify which dishes require which types of gestures, and then I need to be able to switch my focus and my gestures between multiple movements while staying focused enough to not sprain my wrist or my fingers, or for example, pop my shoulder out of the socket because I picked up something too heavy at a weird angle. So this is not something that I can just do as a mindless activity. And this is part of this general point I want to make that for people with disability, a different brain, right? Like all these different factors in our lives, if we have higher support needs, something that seems simple from the outside is actually a very high focus, high difficulty task in my brain. So I'm bringing up dishes because I feel like it's a common one. And also because for me, it has been this lifelong source of 
stress in different ways. So for my brain, having, quote, the dishes on a to-do list as though it's just one task is way more stressful and difficult feeling than having this long-term goal of writing a novel. Even the idea, like I was thinking about it timescale, even the idea of writing a novel this year sounds way more doable to me than doing dishes today (laughs) because I know how to write a novel and I'm not going to injure myself or harm myself. It doesn't feel like an unsafe activity for me. And I've already written large works in words and in music. So I understand the process oriented tasks of writing and it just feels doable to me. And I know that this feels like the opposite of most traditional advice around goals, right? You're supposed to break it down, blah, blah, blah. I'll get into that later. For me, it's a lot easier for my brain to imagine how I'm actually going to go about these big tasks, even, you know, at the, as the year is coming down to the quarter or the month, right? As these time scales get smaller, I still feel like I could bang out a novel. I don't know that I can wash the dishes correctly without hurting myself. (laughs) So this may be specific to me, but I do think that this is part of why the smaller the time scale and the more compressed it gets, the harder it gets to think about. And I've mentioned it a couple times that one of the big whys here is safety. So the brain and the body are trying to keep me safe. It is the main reason procrastination happens. I believe this very, very strongly. This is not my idea, but I've seen it reflected in various ways. And I I really believe that procrastination is the body and brain's attempt to keep us safe. We procrastinate when we don't know how to start. We procrastinate when we don't know what all the steps are. We procrastinate if we sense that there may be something unsafe in the process or in the finished product. For example, being visible as someone with a variety of identities that are sometimes attacked for being visible, right? Like that's a reason to not do something. And even quote, positive outcomes can feel potentially unsafe. And again, that's not necessarily logical. That's fine. It can be this emotional concern of just a part of you that, you know, to bring it back to visibility, for example, publishing something can feel like an unsafe amount of visibility to part of you. So part of the reason that I think it's harder as the timescale gets smaller for things I desire is that the longer the time scale, the more I know I'll be stretching my capacity along the way. So for example, if I do publish a cult classic book at some point, by the time I do that, I will have published other books. I will have practiced being visible. I will have practiced publishing. Like there's all these things that I will have stretched my capacity to do. And so if I reach this point at some point in the future, realistically knowing it'll be years and years away, my nervous system capacity will be greater at that time. And on the very short time scale of trying to get a task done today or this week, I'm now dealing with my immediate capacity, my body's current capacity, my brain's current capacity. And to bring it back to dishes, if my joints are already sore If my brain is already tired and I don't know that I can focus as much as I need to, to not injure myself, my body is going to do everything in its power to stop me from doing a task that might injure me for weeks. 
right? Like spraining a finger is so annoying. <laughs> I've done it so many times. Um, spraining my wrists can, you know, last a long time. Like it's just this, of course, my body is going to try to protect me from that happening. And when I look at it that way, it feels totally reasonable. But in the moment, the societal message is that the dishes are quote, easy task that I quote, should not have trouble with. And in the moment, there is this tendency to fall back on the societal messages that say, I should just push through, I should just do it. And this has been a lifelong journey for me to trust that if my body is trying to protect me, there is a reason. And that I might need to come up with creative ways around that. The other issue around time scale, so I'm still on sort of point number one, but it has these sub points. The other issue with time scale for me is that the farther away a goal is, the more space there is around it for me to get help and support. And for the part of my brain that has learned to be perfectionist about things, which again is a process I am unlearning by being actively anti-perfectionist, but in my brain, if a task is farther away, it's easier for me to fantasize that, you know, I will do exactly the research required before buying the perfect tools and then have someone help me and, you know, coordinate the help. And in my imagination, all of this is just kind of happening in this puffy cloud separate from the rest of my life. (laughs) I don't imagine myself in the future being hungry or tired or having other tasks to do or other requirements. And when I look at my literal calendar for this current week, it's pretty full. Some of those things are social or fun, and some are long work blocks where I'm giving myself a good amount of time to get a difficult task done. Still, if I were to try to add anything else in this current week, literally as I'm recording this, it's really obvious that I would have to let go of something else. And again, the farther out the time scale, the less clear that is when I'm overscheduled. And so at the lifetime scale, in my imagination, I don't have to give up any aspect of my identity or passions. I can write poetry, fiction, I can compose music, I can do theater, I can perform as a musician, I can record projects, I can make visual art, I can work in film, I can do voice acting. And honestly, that's just scratching the surface of what I love to do. Those are all things I love to do. And back to the immediate future again, for the last five months since my cat died, I literally didn't play piano or violin at all. I did take my violin out a couple times to check humidity And I did poke a couple piano keys, but I didn't really sit down. And I actually kind of slowly covered the piano bench so that there wasn't even an inviting space for me. And this week I cleaned the piano area and I actually sat down and played for a longer period of time for the first time in months. And it felt really good. And this is actually the longest break I've taken from a practice routine since I was three years old. (laughs) So I think after 32 years, a break is fine. I'm not like upset about this. And if my main focus right now, like if I had a project where I needed to record in the very near future, I would be concerned because I haven't been practicing and taking that time. So in my imagination, I can maintain like 25 long-term interests and the day-to-day requirements don't mean anything. But on the practical level, 
I do need to get back into my daily practice schedule because I might be scoring a film soon and I usually record myself as part of the process and as part of the final product. So again, just thinking about time scale, I physically cannot do all of the things I'm interested in every single day. I kind of have to work with this cyclical process of like, okay, now I'm getting back into practicing because I have something coming up. And all of this affects how I feel about what I want to do and my desire, because it feels very different for me to sit down at a nice, clean, inviting piano space and play for fun versus working up to a certain level of performance for a recording. And I just want to mention, this is another big topic, but one downside of a habit actually is that once a habit is really ingrained, it's great. Obviously you do the thing, right? So say practicing piano, it's great. I would sit down, you know, I would play every day. I did scales and arpeggios, but once the habit is really ingrained and if you're really doing it for a long time, you typically don't get the same dopamine hit from it unless you're actually getting into flow. And I typically don't get into flow with say very maintenance level scales and arpeggios for 15 minutes. So it is interesting, this kind of liminal space for me, where because I do so many things, I'm actually not necessarily getting the big hit of brain chemicals from doing just a little bit of them. And that's, again, there's no right answer there, but I do think it's important to notice that you can build the habit and be more likely to do something, but then it's not going to feel as exciting if it's a real habit. And then funnily enough, because I have achieved some big things in my art life, I know for myself, the big things actually don't feel that different from the day-to-day things. Yes, winning an award is great and awesome. And it feels great for like two weeks (laughs) that you're like telling everyone and that people are congratulating you. And then it just kind of, you know, becomes just like everything else. It's just a thing on my wall. So because the big wins and the little wins feel pretty similar, and because I love routine and process-oriented goals, I know for me it's worth figuring out the day-to-day stuff. And I know I just talked about this for quite a while. What I was talking about with timescale really is this idea that the the big timescale feels easier for a lot of reasons, but it still has to trickle down in some way to the day-to-day. And for me, habit and routine are a big part of that. And then just knowing for myself that habit and routine make the day-to-day work less exciting. So it's not going to feel quite the same as it does when I do it sporadically or when I'm first starting. So my second big point about why traditional goal setting does not work for me, it's asking me to follow a set of instructions that don't make sense to my brain and don't feel good to my body. And I actually have a great analogy for this. When I was about 11, I think, my dad gave me a clarinet and a book about clarinet and said, teach yourself clarinet. Okay. (laughs) Now at this point, I had already attended a college music theory class he was teaching. So I knew a, a lot of music theory. I already kind of knew, you know, basically everything you might learn in like the first semester of college music theory by the time I was 11. However, the way that my brain learns, I really have trouble mapping motor skills based on 
verbal instruction or written instruction. I need a picture. I need a video. And ideally I want to see a person live, like in person. So I can kind of move around and watch them from different angles and they show me, and then my motor neurons kick in and I can get it. So shockingly, I did not learn clarinet that way. Like at all. I remember sitting there and having trouble getting any sound. Whereas if I'd had a teacher, I would have been making sound immediately. Like I wouldn't have been sitting there for hours just trying to consistently get a sound out. That's something that a teacher would have been able to show me immediately. And traditional goal setting says, break the goal down into small steps, schedule the steps, and then do them at the appointed time. And people who say this think this sounds really easy, (laughs) but every single part of that is very hard for my system. So for one thing, I sometimes have trouble accurately figuring out what the steps even are until I've started. And starting is really hard when you don't know what the steps are. It's one of the things that your brain will kick in to protect you from. It's like, oh, I don't know how to do this, so I just won't do it. So this is kind of a catch-22. It's also really important for my brain to separate out planning the steps and the actual execution of the steps because they require very, very different parts of my brain and task switching between planning and doing is actually really exhausting for me. And that's again, not going to be true of every autistic person or every ADHD person, but it's something to be aware of if it is true for you. And even if I do everything right in terms of breaking down the tasks in order and understanding what needs to be done and scheduling them or scheduling time to work on them, executing at the appointed time does not automatically fit with my system. My system has big ups and downs in terms of energy and my overall energy state matters in whether I can actually be creative and my energy state is affected by other executive function care tasks, such as eating and having a clean enough workspace that I can focus. So something I've noticed for myself and clients is there's often this cyclical pattern where everything is going well. And it's like this upward spiral or self-supporting spiral where the care tasks like eating and sleeping feel easier. So everything feels easier and it all just feeds together. It works together and it, everything just feels easier. And then I have also experienced the exact opposite, not as a part of depression, but just as part of this, you know, there's obstacles. Sometimes it is a health or mental health issue, But just when things are getting in the way of eating, sleeping, social time, movement, right? Like these things that we need in order to be in the body and like be okay, it can just make everything harder. And then when I'm in that state and I'm sitting and I'm trying to get creative work done and it's not working because my brain does not have the literal fuel that it needs (laughs) in the form of sleep, food, and just this like very basic homeostasis. It just feels bad. And then I feel bad because, you know, then the societal messages kick in, the brainworms kick in saying like, oh, you're not good at this, right? Like all this stuff just kind of feeds together. So there's also that sort of downward spiral that can happen. And as an example, when my partner was recovering from emergency surgery last fall, and I was doing all the care tasks for both of us, I was not able to get any creative work done at all, and that's totally fine. And I was not expecting myself to do anything extra that goes back to, you know, me not playing 
piano or violin for the last five months. I, I knew that was probably going to happen. And I just gave myself space and said, that's fine. And it really drove home for me how much energy some of these care tasks take from me. And my partner has taken over a lot of the care tasks at home. We actually just had a professional cleaner come for the first time since we moved here a year and a half ago, and they did a deep clean and it was so worth it. Like literally the floors are a different color. The sink is a different color. They scrubbed some things that it's just a task that does not work for me and takes so much from me. So that said, meanwhile, to my brain, quote, write a novel doesn't actually seem that daunting because I actually have a pretty good idea of how to go about that because I've made large works of art before. And if that sounds strange to you because you haven't and you go, oh, writing a novel to most people, writing a novel or writing a symphony is outside of their area of comfort (laughs) and knowledge. But I'm just pointing out that for different brains, your brain has things inside your area of comfort and knowledge that feel very easy and that you might not even need traditional goal setting around because to your brain, it's just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I know how to do that thing. And then we dismiss that because we've gotten good at it. But for anything that's stretching your comfort, your expertise, your knowledge, your ability to kind of map your current expertise onto the activity in a timeline of some kind, if there's any difficulty or challenge within that, and especially if those things are things that are societally considered easier, it can be very, very frustrating and difficult. So my third big point is what I do instead, how I think about this in light of everything I just shared. So yes, there are tools and workarounds and emotional support regulation skills and external support, and it still does not fundamentally change my brain's natural desire to be interested in what I'm doing. I have, I love the term interest-based nervous system as one theory around autism and ADHD that we just want to do what we're interested in, basically. It is work to try to make boring or difficult tasks into something interesting. So while it can be motivating to, quote, just make it interesting or try to do that, as a to-do item, it isn't necessarily that useful. Flow is a big part of what works for me. I know I've touched on that before, big, big topic. But a lot of what I want to say around this is there is nothing wrong with you. And traditional goal setting is very, very tied into corporate culture and productivity culture. And it's really hard to take those apart, I think. So the best way I can describe what works for me right now, and again, I don't love the word goals, but I do love the word desire around doing what I desire to do and moving toward my big desires in the future. What works well for me is practices around this idea of expansion and contraction. I think of it like a heartbeat. The heart opens and closes, you know, every (laughs) second or so, and it's accepting and releasing this flow of blood. Our lungs do the same thing, right? The lungs expand, allow in breath, and then bring it back in this expansion and contraction 
It represents for me my capacity. My capacity expands and contracts. It represents the way my creative process works, my sensory needs. And for example, both being introverted and also wanting a lot of affection. So this expansion and contraction, I think, shows up in many areas of my life. And one of the main ways I apply it is that I both dream big, which is the expansion part, and I recognize my current capacity. And I don't consider that to be limiting or self-limiting to acknowledge and be honest about where my capacity is right now. And if your system is anything like mine, and if you know that you need more rest, support, whatever, and you don't get it and you just push through, yeah, I can do that. And it's also why autistic people burn out so hard because we've been trained to ignore our needs and push through. And ultimately, yeah, you may finish the project on time, but in the long run, that does not work for my system. So one way I play with this dreaming big expansion is I have a literal list of lifetime goals. There are seven things on that list. I have some yearly goals and then I have some monthly goals and I look at all three of those daily. I look at my, well, most days, (laughs) Uh, you know, lifetime, yearly and monthly. It actually really helps me. It's called goal stacking as a, again, I didn't make that up. It's a thing. And I found it very helpful. I've just been doing this recently. And anytime I have a new practice, it always feels good, right? So again, I'm not saying, oh, this is going to work for me long-term, but it's really helping me keep an eye on the bigger items that weirdly feel more attainable to my brain. Like my lifetime goals feel achievable. And then I go, okay, what might I want to do this year? What might I want to do this month that fit into that? And it actually feels really good to me. And if something doesn't fit into the big picture and it doesn't feel good and it's not required, it's very easy for me to say no to it. So that's part of what it's helping me do is maintain my energetic boundaries by saying no to things that just don't fit into this or aren't giving me some other thing that feels good. I also recognize that my energy is very cyclical and that's partly based on seasons and then in slightly smaller cycles of a week or three at a time, which could be hormonally based, not sure, but I definitely notice those cycles. And that's inevitable, just like every natural system, this expansion, contraction of energy. And at the daily level, the way this plays out, this expansion and contraction, is that I do whatever I need to do to keep tasks from feeling overwhelming. And one tool I'm using for that right now is a to-do list with sub-goals, because sometimes seeing a longer list, uh, especially if there's, again, I'm trying to break out steps for things. It can be really overwhelming to me to see that. But if I nest under categories and then give myself a chunk of time to do the whole category, for whatever reason, that's working really well for my brain right now. And then if I'm feeling overwhelmed by, again, the daily tasks in this very moment, I do not try to push through and just do them anyway unless it's very, very small. If there's like, if I'm about to do something that takes one or two minutes and I'm feeling overwhelmed, I might just do the thing. But if it's a larger task, I let myself take a step back. And my go-to right now is usually journaling a bit about how I'm feeling. 
We're doing a little bit of EFT tapping, which is calming to the nervous system. And it's just to bring some safety back into my system, release any pent up emotions. And I usually get something useful out of these little rest periods. And by the way, this is the other interesting thing about time and time scale is for me doing a practice that is centering and feels good usually takes, I'm not kidding, two minutes. Five minutes is definitely an overstatement for how long I typically spend doing this. Uh, oh, another good one I've been doing. I got a travel BOSU ball that I can bounce on. <laughs> and it's perfect because as long as I'm wearing my supportive shoes, it actually feels really safe for my joints because I'm bouncing, I'm not jumping. And it's just really gentle and it's softer than the floor. So I'm actually really loving that. That's like another, again, just kind of centering uh, thing that I've been doing. So again, this expansion and contraction if I take a break, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, if I take a break and I do one of these things, I usually have enough tools and knowledge at this point that I can bring myself back from overwhelm very consistently. And at the same time, if I'm finding myself have to do that a lot, I start to look at the structural question of why am I feeling so overwhelmed? Why is this task feeling so difficult? Are there other sensory issues in the way? Do I need more support? And unsurprisingly, since I talked about timeline a lot today, one thing that works for me is to give myself spacious time to do something like three times as much time as I think it might need. That both helps with time blindness issues, but it also just helps with the pressure. And when you can remove the pressure from a task, it becomes easier. And time and timeline is a big part of that because we're so oriented societally around deadlines, timelines, getting something done by a particular day, etc. So for example, something, maybe I put something as a month goal and, or desire, and I just go, you know, that just feels like too much pressure. I push it out to the year. Same thing with a year goal. If I'm like this, you know, I can push it out to another year. I can also just say this becomes a lifetime goal. I can nest it under something else. And again, I really don't love the word goal. I'm using it mostly because people know what it is. And I feel like desire, I just didn't feel like going into a huge explanation of like why I like the words that I like that does feel a bit semantic. But again, don't use the word goal if you don't love it. I love intention. I love desire. And I know I packed in a lot today. I've been thinking about this a lot, but sometimes it comes out a bit dense. My big takeaway for you listening is even if not everything I shared resonated with you specifically, I hope it gives you a sense hearing me talk about my own personal current challenges, that if goals feel difficult for you, there are probably really, really good reasons for that. And the answer is not to just go try to do the traditional goal setting of steps schedule due. If that worked for you, you'd be doing it already, right? <laughs> And it's not that you're not motivated. It's not that you don't want it enough. And it's definitely not that you can't eventually reach what you desire in some form. And to state that as a positive, I believe it is usually possible to reach some version of what we desire in some form, in some time frame. But the traditional goal setting method just doesn't work for a lot of brains and bodies. And that's okay. 
if you liked the idea of expansion and contraction, I really, I just scratched the surface for the way that I think about this. It shows up in every aspect of my life. I think about it a lot. I love the expansion of safety over time. So that would be another big takeaway is if you like the expansion contraction idea, just start playing with that in your own life. What does it look like to expand 1%, just this really little expansion, because over time that builds into this larger expansion for capacity and safety. And I love that. And then if the way that I talk about this makes sense to you, if this works for your brain, if you're like, yes, I want to know more, if you're feeling stuck and you need some additional support, I have a specific type of session I offer called get unstuck. And I just built in sliding scale pricing. You used to have to contact me for a scholarship and now I just have sliding scale built in. And whether you need more intellectual, factual information or more body-based relief, either way, we work with what you need right now to get your energy moving, get the body on board so it feels safe so that you can get unstuck in this particular whatever it is that you need. I work with a lot of different things and we use a blend of modalities. I recently became a board certified hypnotherapist. So certainly hypnosis is top of mind for me, but it can also be conversational and body-based with the various somatic modalities that I've learned as well. I'm going to put those links in the show notes for one or three sessions. And if you just scroll all the way down, it's got the sliding scale pricing there. I really recommend the get unstuck one session If you feel like you're so close to figuring something out, if you feel like you have so much information and you are just trying to figure out why it feels like it's not integrating or like something that used to feel easy is feeling hard again, and you just want to figure out what's in the way. This is one of my favorite things to do with people because I love seeing the full body relief that people have at the end of the session when it just when that energy just moves and it just feels like, oh, okay, I know what I'm going to do next. I love that just full body relief. And I'll put that in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a great week and that you expand and contract that natural process in a way that feels supportive for you. Thanks for listening. If you know someone who would be helped by this podcast, please share it with them. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions at Mattia at MattiaMarie.com. That's M-A-T-T-I-A at M-A-T-T-I-A-M-A-U-R-E-E dot com. Thank you.